What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath, and I've got another one for you today. Yes, it's Friday, and you know what that means. I'm talking to my man, Brian Rance at Cordial, and we cover a lot of ground in this one. I love his background. I love the fact that he ran an agency, was in enterprise sales, now he's into marketing, very diverse skill set, and there's a lot of ground to cover. I had fun jumping on his show on LinkedIn. It's what we call a little bit of a collaboration in the marketing space. He's a guy with a ton of insights. Can't wait to share this one with you. If you like what I'm doing over here on the 3C Podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, tell me how I'm doing. Feedback matters. And don't you forget, we're launching our beta soon. We want you to come join the juice. Check it out, man. Give us feedback. We want that feedback. You can find the link in the show notes you hit the link, you're going to get our newsletter. We're working on getting this baby designed too. It's going to look nice really, really soon. So hit that link. You can also visit thejuicehq.com. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait to drop the beta. But let's drop this conversation first. Without further ado, let's kick it to it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I am joined by our first customer on the 3C podcast, which is awesome. I'm joined by Brian Rance, the senior strategist and evangelist at Cordial. Brian, how are you doing today? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. We were just talking about the uh, the freak weather in Indy out here in Portland. We're getting some rare sunshine, so we're we're soaking it in, man. Doing well. Yes, it, it is a strange as mid as Midwesterner, you just gotta be, adapt and go with the flow. That's right. I, w- I will say, and I haven't commented this to you until now when I'm looking at your name, but Brian Rance is like the ultimate like marketing name. Like you know, <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got, I just I hit my uh, LinkedIn and I hit my Twitter feed, uh, you know, in the mornings and when I close up shop at work, and that's the trend these days. Just people ranting about. Their, their marketing takes. And that's so right. you must have an opinion on something, I'd say. That's right. Yeah, no, I remember actually before, uh, back when I used to be cool, I, I did songwriting, actually worked on a couple albums in Nashville. And I remember there was a songwriter who's like, he's like, dude, you have the best songwriting name ever. But yeah, again, so I guess in creating content, having a verb as a last name is an asset. So still trying to figure out how to use it, but... I love it. So I want to talk about Cordial. um, But before we do that, I think your career path has been quite interesting. And when we caught up, I think you've done a lot of different things um, that have involved marketing at some level. But maybe I think it'd be interesting to just maybe like walk through like the the different phases of of your career and kind of where you've been along the way to set it up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was that proverbial kid in the coffee shop with a laptop, uh, building websites, doing SEO. And yeah, content did play a role from the beginning. It's a weird thing to think about 20 years later, but there was a time where there was a gold rush for building websites. And so there was a line out the door just to build the next website for the next business that wanted an online presence. But one of the constant challenges was always content then, right? So I found myself starting to, you know, ghostwrite, copyright some content for brands about energy companies and financial services and things I knew very little about, but just had to learn and figure out how to create content for. 
Um, but then, you know, I grew from there into having my own agency for five years and then helping two other agencies build their digital practice. And yeah, along the way, um, again, a constant was always content because at these agencies, we were starting to, you know, I guess build out what is, you know, marketing automation, right? Which sounds like a term 15 years ago, because it is a term from 15 years ago. But, you know, I was part of that wave where you're building out, okay, we're going to have these things called journeys, you know, and we're going to start building content for each stage of the journey, for each type of buyer, maybe based on their role in the company. And so you build the grid and you start, and all of a sudden you realize, man, I got to build out a crap ton of content for all these different stages. And, and that's, again, for agencies, that's where we get a lot of our work is there's like, can, can you guys help us, you know, create this content? So yeah, now that, you know, I'm back and it's sort of gone full circle. I spent um, after the, the marketing time, I spent six years in, on, on the dark side in software sales. I really, I really enjoyed that. And actually a lot of it still came down to strategy and helping our clients. But now that I'm back on the on the content side again, again, I'm just recognizing how much because of the proliferation of content, it has given buyers the ability to self-direct um, their process and to become highly educated before they ever ask to speak to a salesperson or if they ever ask. I love that. Something else I love is something that I read on your LinkedIn headline and that was enabling marketers to send a better message. And I want to get your reaction to like what that means to you. But I think it would be interesting. I don't want to gloss over this. The fact that you spent that amount of time in software sales and you are someone with an appreciation of what good content does and what good content can do maybe like share some like feedback. I think that's a battle we have in just marketing in general, right? We, we, we have all this content, we create all this content, we use it to drive inbound and we try to get our sales team to use it, but sometimes there's conflict. So like, I guess like from, from like to the content marketer, like you've kind of been in both roles, like what's your feedback in order to get the stuff that creators are spending hours of their day building to get actual salespeople to leverage that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's not only a good question, that is the good question for how sales and marketing work together. And to answer it, I'll actually do a little bit of a roundabout, A, because I'm not concise, but B, because I think this is relevant. There is a concept out there. um, I think his name is Marcus Sheridan. He wrote a recent book, uh, The Visual Sale along with the guy from Vidyard, but his original kind of book that launched him to fame was um, They Ask, You Answer. And the whole concept there was he had this failing pool business in 2008 when everything came crashing down. And he decided to just, you know, like kind of like there's nothing to lose. I'm going to take all the questions that I get from my customers, including the ones I don't want to answer. I'm just going to answer them and I'm going to answer them in video format. So now it's funny because like you listen to him talking, he's a pretty down home, simple guy, but I mean, he's, you know, B2B SaaS companies around the world are paying this guy a lot of money to come help them, which is really a fairly simple concept, which is as a salesperson, when I would go into a conversation, I already knew, let's say 80%, he calls it the 80% video. I knew 80% of the questions I was going to get. So obviously then as, as an effective salesperson, I was, I was taught and mentored to prepare. So I'd have call plans. Here's the questions I'm going to answer, et cetera. 
But what he does in this book is move the focus up funnel. Well, if you already know they're going to answer those questions, why not go ahead and answer them ahead of time, right? Which was sort of like, I was like, oh yeah, duh. And I really think like fundamentally as content creators, that's it. Your job is to answer those 80% questions before they get to sales. Now, there's nuances, right? There's some questions where, um, again, he really encourages you to answer the ones you don't want to answer. Like, how does your pricing work? There might be nuances, right? So you might have a thing on, hey, here's the major drivers of cost. You know, you, maybe there's a platform fee. Maybe there's some per use seat. You know, may not give an exact figure, but here's how it works. Who are your competitors? Again, these are things that can make you sweat as a salesperson. But even with those, which would take some, some massaging and some agreement between departments, let's just say of that 80%, 60% of them are things you are very willing to address proactively and publicly. That's, that's where you start, right? And so now you can imagine as a salesperson, if the person that I have coming into a demo is highly educated, they know our take on the hot issues that we're, you know, the, the big problems we're trying to solve. Not only am I going to close more deals, but I'm going to get less of the deals I don't want to get into. And that is one of the things that, you know, it's a big topic. It has been a big topic in sales, but just know as a content creator, a big thing in sales is how do I get less of the bad deals, less of the deals I'm going to lose. And you can start, you know, learning this by source, by industry, et cetera. There's all kinds of ways that sales will slice it. But if you as a content marketer have so educated the customer that they can self-select themselves out before they talk to a salesperson, that is also a huge win. So yeah, that's really where I see the value of content is that 80% of the questions that they're going to ask, educate them on them. So they'll either self-select out or by the time they get to that discovery call, they say they have a really good idea of whether or not they're a fit for your company. So if I'm a salesperson and I'm listening to that, I'm saying, huh, that makes a ton of sense. I love being prepared before I get into these conversations. And, and that makes a lot of sense. If I'm a content marketer listening to that, I think, okay, like that is a little bit different than the, you know, editorial type meetings that I'm having with the marketing department and things that we're currently thinking and ideas that we, we think we should be taking to market. And so I think the question back to you is, what, what is the best way to kind of bridge those two worlds where I'm a salesperson, I'm in, I just got done with this, you know, enterprise sales deal. Here are like the five things I got hammered for. This always happens. Hey, marketing team, like what information do we have on that? Like, what is the best way that the marketing and the sales teams can get united around these issues that they know are coming on the sales side, like from an alignment perspective, what's the best way you, you go about facilitating that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two aspects, you know, simple and scalable. I mean, so first of all, the simple way I'm always, again, enamored in a world of complexity with the very simple solutions to things because they can, they can get easily overlooked. And so a very simple solution can be, again, grabbing a, a Zoom coffee, you know, or we get back in person taking out a salesperson to lunch and just asking them questions it can also be as simple as setting up a, a monthly, you know, standup or a bi-weekly 15 minute standup where it's just like you set the context of the meeting, like, Hey, here's the purpose of the meeting. Uh, marketing wants to be responsive to sales. 
Um, I'd love to share a little bit of what we're doing as well, because this isn't the only thing you know we have to work on. And maybe I'll give you a little background on the other stuff we're working on to help you. But we just want you to know we want to be responsive to what you're hearing in market. And we know you have a direct connection with the customer that will be helpful to us. So context of this is in this 15 minutes, I just love to hear from you. What are the three or four questions you heard this week that you would like us to help answer and what priority? I'm going to be looking for patterns. I'm going to you know, create a document or whatever. I'm going to stack rank these. And then we're going to try to get to work on these for you. I, I'd be shocked if salespeople didn't fall over themselves <laughs> to take you up on that. And then the second part of it being scalable is, again, I started as in that answer introducing some processes, right? You need some way of a Trello board or a document or something to catalog these and to assign priority. Because again, it is the 80% questions. I, I would come across questions that were just like, wow, I've never heard that before. And I don't think I'm ever going to hear it again. And that's just going to happen in sales. And you, you learn ways of like, you know, objection handling, how to respond, but that's not really the role of the marketer. It's too long tail. So really creating a process to identify the questions that keep coming to the top. And so that again, be, can be things like interviewing salespeople in simple ways. It can also go to things like win loss reviews, right? Systems that you have for tracking in Salesforce, and then using that loss data and creating a program around, okay, we need to create content so that either these people select out or we hit this issue before it became a pothole in the sales process. I love it. Uh, that all makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'm trying to think to myself, like, I want to get off this sales topic and move to something else, but I can't quite get off of it yet because I, it's got me thinking about it. Okay. So like, this all sounds good and it makes a lot of sense to me, but then I think at the end of the day, right? Like we as marketing and salespeople are driven by our KPIs. We're driven by our comp. We're, we're driven by all of these things that you know are individual to us in our roles. But yeah. then when we're talking about bringing together these groups, there might not be alignment on these with these with comp structure. There might not be alignment with KPIs. So then you know That's the marketing true. the marketing person saying like, hey, I I don't really I don't really care. Like that that's not what I measured on. So I think like to me that the biggest problems that exist currently in B two B marketing is when that example shows up where marketing and sales aren't aligned around common goals. So I, I just love your perspective on just like the old way of kind of like organizing marketing and sales. And then I have, as I've been talking with more content teams, have really heard this theme of like revenue teams where marketers and salespeople kind of share same goals. I just love your perspective on on that example and how you think about like the, the best way to maybe enact change within organizations who might be siloed at this point. Yeah, it's a great question. And while I I'll share my experience as a participant. I also wouldn't say I'm an expert. There are some really leading minds out there leading the charge. What I can say is more from the inside out as someone who's part of those teams, what I've observed. And what I've observed is a lot of what you're saying, which is the goals that were given and the incentives that we're tied to are, if not disconnected, again, not, not obviously aligned. I had I have thought, and again, I'm just speaking for myself here, not as part of anybody I'm <laughs> employed by, but I've often thought like it, literally last week, this was just a random thought. I was like, what if marketers got a spiff? You know, like it's a little, you know, a little bonus. If a salesperson closed a deal and you had tracked as part of that deal that they downloaded their white paper or whatever, right? Like, how would that change their perspective if they got a little five hundred thousand dollar 
you know, check for, uh, and, and realize like, oh, I have a big impact on what happens downstream from here. So one, one level is incentives. And again, that's not where I feel like I have the most to contribute, but I think that would be really interesting to see how leaders are doing that. But then more on the functional alignment, which is where I have had more of the experience. I'd say, again, a lot of it truly comes down to if we are going to track things as much as possible, let's focus our measurements and our tracking down towards the bottom of the funnel, towards the metrics where they get closest to the line. Because you know, it's it's that whole thing, even with email marketing, like then this does get into software a little bit, but with our platform, we have the ability to track revenue. And a lot of times we'll see discussions where people will be like, you know, hey, I want to boost my open rate. And you know, the, the kind of the challenger sale thing is like, okay, but let me ask you, if you got half the opens, but twice the revenue, like, would you take that? You know, so like, what are we really trying to move here? Are we trying to move opens or are we trying to move revenue? So in the same way for you think the B2B, content marketer, it's like, okay, well, are we trying to incentivize ebook downloads, blog post reads, or are we trying to incentivize revenue? Now, again, I understand there's complexity in tracking, but it's not infinite complexity. We can begin to, you know, see over time lead sources and how things move forward. So as much as possible, if we can move it towards, uh, and sometimes again, this comes in, you know, keep it simple, just surveying someone after you just won the deal. Hey, Tell me about the process you had with the company. What you know, what went well during sales process, what didn't. You know, hey, out of curiosity, what did you interact with from our marketing stuff? So we have social channels, we have a blog, a video. It's like, can you share with me a little bit? And just start tracking and understanding, like, what are they actually engaging with? And then if we can shift, again, both incentives and then functional alignment about the discussions we're having towards, okay, we want to drive more of this type of customer. We've talked to them. They say they typically find us at these small regional events we do or through this online content we're producing. We want to target this kind of person. And if you have, like, again, the idea of a revenue team who's like this, you know, even this person, Sandy at Acme, like she's the person, like we want more of Sandy. Now you, as a revenue team, like we're going to build content that someone like Sandy would want to read. And we know this because we talked to Sandy and others like Sandy. I think that's where the alignment really starts to, starts to sing. I think that makes a ton of sense. And in those examples, I, my mind was just going towards the thought and idea how I feel like so much of the way teams are constructed has been around like, oh, let's point and look at this ex- this example and let's go replicate this or let's go look at what our competitors are doing and replicate yeah, this. Totally. I, I mean, you're, uh, so I would imagine you're, you're in, based on your role, you're interfacing and meeting with a lot of different people, a lot of different industries, a lot of different teams. And it, to me, it always stands out like the teams that are the most efficient and, and successful are the ones that are building and developing around their personal goals, what they're trying to do. And it might, it probably in all likelihood doesn't look like anyone else's because it is inherently built around their company goals and mission and what they are going to do for their customers. Like, what is your response and reaction to that? I think everyone wants to just like take someone else's org chart or take someone else's playbook and go implement it. But I think a lot of the times people and teams and leadership should take a step back and figure out, okay, what's, what's best for us? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the voices we choose to listen to, right? And it's understandable. Like, again, I feel like sometimes, 
you know, I, I've, I've had a lot of mentors at Cordial on the idea of transparency in business. And again, that is a huge part of our culture. It's part of why we're named Cordial. I had a sales leader, you know, there's a you know, book called The Transparency Sale, but he really mentored us that, you know, again, just like we were taught on the playground, you know, it's, it's hard to keep track of a lie. You know, it's easier to be transparent and also it's, it's endearing. It builds uh, connection. It builds trust. I think a lot of times uh, the idea of being authentic and transparent means that uh, instead of looking at our our competitors, right? Because it's confusing, it's complex. We don't know what we should do next. Oh, well, they're being successful. Maybe we should just look at what they're doing and just do our version of it. You know, that just that copy never comes off well, right? It's like you know the the Doctor Thunder or whatever <laughs> sold at like Walmart or something instead of Doctor Pepper. You're like, ah, that was you know that was pretty good, but it wasn't quite right. It's like we're doing like a bad copy of what someone else did. Well, being transparent and authentic means like okay. Why don't we talk to our people like motivation? Why are you here? What are you trying to get to? What's unique about our founding story, our DNA, then talking to our customers, like not, why did we want you to choose us, but why did you actually choose us? You know, like telling stories and then creating marketing out of that, you know, in an era where, you know, transparency and authenticity are so valued, that's just going to land different and it will sound right. It's like, yeah, that is you, that is your story. That is your benefit. And it's not, you know, again, a bad facsimile of, of what your competitors doing? Yes, I, I'm. I'm all about that. I just like now. I now I'm just wanting to see like the behind the scenes for the branding and the advertising around the generic brands. Can you imagine just like the pitch meetings and the ideation? All right, let's 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 call it Doctor Thunder. Like we've all we've all walked around in Walmart and seen those off brands, and it always makes me chuckle. (laughs) Yeah, someone got paid. I apologize. I'm sure you did good work, whoever came up with that. But yeah, someone got paid to come up with Doctor Thunder for sure. Uh, well, I w- let me get back to what I alluded to earlier, but just your LinkedIn headline, enabling marketers to send a better message. That's a, a big role. That's definitely, I think, aspirational. I always like to meet people with evangelists in, in their title because to me, it's like, all right, well, they're, they've got to have passion and they have got to have knowledge. And usually the combination of passion and knowledge around the topic grants people to be evangelists for their company. So talk to me about just like, obviously message that has a lot to do with content, but talk to me about just like that headline and and what it means to you. Yeah, no, obviously you've picked up on what was an intentional double meaning there written. And I believe that phrase was generated by our amazing Jenny Bishop at Cordial, who has a, a skill for finding the right words to send a better message. But that was intentionally a double meaning because again, first of all, we want to be part of an industry in a way that brings a constructive presence, right? Software does not always connotate a focus on making things better for your customers, even for your competitors, for the whole industry. And we're really committed to being that kind of company and also looking for those kinds of companies that we work with, like a Tom's where they are trying to send a better message, not only with the product they have, which is, that's great and noble to have products that you sell to the world, the good quality products, good shoes, but also the kind of people they want to be in the world, making a better world. So that was an intentional double meaning. The second part of it being the actual message, right? So we send email, SMS, mobile push, uh, REST API based uh, calls. And it, it what it, what it connotates for me is thinking about the changes that have happened 
recently and how it exacerbated movements that were already in place, right? So Stephanie Liu at Forrester had predicted, you know, what marketers were going to do in 2021. COVID was already a thing, was already starting to look at, okay, how are marketers going to adapt to this as well as changes in, you know, third-party data collection. And, and she said, look, in my words, marketers are going to send a crap ton of messages. <laughs> you know, they're going to, they're going to adapt by because so much more business is shifting digitally. They're just going to send a ton of messages. And she talked about how marketers need to think about moving away from these sort of marketer dictated messages to the more buyer dictated messages. Right. So I think of it like, you know, turning the binoculars around is what send a better message is. It's not, you know, what do I want to say, but what does my customer want to hear? For Cordial specifically, this has a lot to do with our founding story around data that is collecting all of those moments that buyers are leaving those clues about what they're interested in, what they might be willing to spend if they're ready, and then being able to create a message that's personalized on all that data at sale. And that's, again, what we think is a better message. It's personal, it's relevant to the moment, and it's intelligent in that, again, we have a data platform that's powering um, that interaction. So yeah, that's what we mean um, when we say send a better message. Makes a ton of sense to me. And it sounds like on the cordial side, what what your company is doing is definitely critical and important in helping marketers move into this new way of how we communicate and message to our customers. You mentioned this, but I think there's so much of what we do as marketers. We build these ideas and we build these processes to hit our KPIs and to get more leads, get more eyeballs, get more pipeline, get more opportunities for our sales team. But a lot of the times we don't look at it from the perspective of the consumers and creating the best experience for them. I think about just like my days where it's like, before I get into work, right? I'm going for a run. I'm putting on my Apple watch, curating my favorite music for me. I'm getting Google news alerts to inform me on the MarTech industry. I work then yep. my wife gets home late. I get done with work late. We're too tired to cook. So then we call an Uber Eats, get the food delivered to us. Then we watch Netflix. And so like all of these things that are happening in my life and in our many people's lives are all being curated and the content is being curated for us. And I don't even know if we take a step back and really realize all the things that are happening, but it's like super powerful. And then when we turn to the, the B2B side and when we're just trying to go like maybe find something to learn and download, it's, there's just like so much friction, right? It's, there's, yeah. we can't find anything because totally. like, because there's manipulated SEO blog posts that are in the way of us learning. And then there's forms and all these different things. And that's a lot of what we're talking about just at the juice. And so like yeah. when you were saying that, like the message definitely resonated to me. So What's your thoughts on that? Just like how rapidly and quickly the content we consume in our day-to-day lives has changed and shifted for the better. And then still like how much friction still exists in the B2B landscape. And I'll like put my hand up and say like, I am totally guilty of participating in this old way of marketing in the past. So I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of an analogy I heard from a different context, uh, economics actually, but I think it's perfect here is we're, you know, we're delivering a post office experience in an iPhone world. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you get to curate your apps and within the apps, you curate the notifications and the content and you're curating everything. 
And then we're like, welcome to the post office. Go ahead and stand in line. You know what I mean? That's, that's kind of what we're doing. And again, I'll, I also want to acknowledge that there's a tension because I recognize that it's actually, again, maybe on your listeners that are marketers in on it, on, on sales thinking, I was able to be successful. And part of the way I would be able to be six, successful in sales is, is actually making my clients work a little bit, right? Because, you know, whether it was having them fill out data that we'd use for an ROI assessment, asking them to prepare, you know, a few key things, use cases they wanted us to cover in a demo, creating that necessary friction was a way of making sure like you're serious right now. Again, I was, you know, if you're selling 5k a year deals, that probably doesn't make sense. But if you're selling, you know, enterprise deals, it's going to take a lot of time on both sides, kind of want to make sure you're serious. So I want to acknowledge that there are points where I think there's necessary friction to make sure each party's in it. But I think what you're speaking to is where we're putting the friction is really unnecessary, right? So in a world of near infinite content, the idea of creating a lot of friction around accessing your content, it's like, well, maybe for certain content, yes. You know, maybe for high value, you know, getting towards the bottom of the funnel type content, I still could see you making a case for that. But if nothing else, if we just shift the balance of we're going to create a lot more of this content that, again, moves people from just being high volume to high intent, uh, like you and I were talking about, Chris Walker and, and Refine Labs is, you know, doing a lot of talking about this, but like moving from, you know, to like gating the really, um, you know, low intent, high volume stuff to just like establishing your point of view and market and then really focusing on uh, creating paths that people can take to educate themselves. And then only, you know, introducing friction later in the cycle when it, it might make sense, you know, to ensure that they are serious about talking to a salesperson or getting a certain piece of content that's high intent. But yeah, I think of it more as we are, we're putting friction in the wrong places and the wrong timing. And it would be, again, it's fascinating to see the companies that are willing to, to shift their mindset from high volume to high intent and to make more available higher in the funnel without adding friction. That's good stuff. I couldn't agree more. Maybe we close on this topic a, a little bit further, but I'd love to know your your mentality on just the role, like the pandemic and how it changed and um, shifted everyone's world in the way we work. I think, uh, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems like I might have been more acceptable, accepting of these content experiences that I've been dealing with for the last 10 years, if I were still stuck in the office, because right. it's just like, oh, it's the office and oh, I need to go check out this. We, we have a problem and I want to check out the solution. So, oh yeah, I'm going to fill out some forms and oh yeah, salespeople are going to call me. I want a demo eventually. But like that, being in an office and dealing with it is one thing. But then when your life changes and you start working like I am from my kitchen table and yeah. you're in your home and you're doing what I said earlier with streaming and getting content curated for you, like then it starts to stand out a little bit further. So I'd love to just like get your perspective in closing just on the mind sh mindset shift of like marketing post pandemic, what that means for marketers and then what that means for consumers. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not alone and it's not original idea to say that it didn't necessarily create change as much as accelerate change. 
And so I like how you put that in terms of a tolerance for friction. Well, that's kind of my words, but your tolerance for friction lowered, right? And I think that's a good way of looking at it. And, and, and then flip to the other side of the coin, an expectation for self-guided and self-driven. Again, the, the, there's a Gardner did some work on the future of sales and it talked about something like, you know, 44% of millennials now would like to have a salesperson free buying experience, you know, and I suppose, you know, if you're a marketer, you can kind of chuckle at that, you know, someone that just recently came from sales, you know, that can be feel a little terrifying. But I think the idea is what's behind that. I'm I'm not convinced that that means um, they would not want to have an engaging human interaction with someone that's really interested in their success and is helpful. I think what that speaks to more is the desire to self-guide. You know, like every time I'm trying to discover your brand, I don't want you to throw up an obstacle in my way necessarily. So yeah, I think the the first part of how things are shifting is that lowered tolerance for friction and and a greater need to think about how you enable visitors to kind of spider into the heart of your. Well, that was kind of a dark analogy. (laughs) Find the right path. Like you know, as it's coming out, I'm like, yeah, that sounds a little dark. No, there's Uh, the there's the clip for this episode right there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, (laughs) spider into your heart. A new way to market. They can't all be winners, man. No, uh, uh, think of all the different paths that you people end up finding in, right? And again. I think of like, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest and, and, and love to hike. And you'll often, you know, go on these hikes where you'll find these trails and you're like, how did this trail form? You know, like organically over like 50 years. And it's like, well, people found a way, right? And if you can like get enough perspective, you can often see like, oh, well, they went around that stream and they were going up over that ridge and it makes sense, right? And so sometimes as a marketer, having humility to step back and just like observe, again, like we talked about, that can be analytics, can also be asking people about their journey, observe the paths they're taking or the spidering into the heart, shall we say? No, but observe the path they're taking and then facilitate that. Like, how do I Sherpa you? You know, like, how do I be your Sherpa to kind of help you carry on that path that you're choosing? is the first one. And then the second, I think is really, this will be an interesting one. This one is a little bit predicting the future and I could be wrong about it, but I think very human, very connecting sort of events. Again, when we have vaccines and we can <laughs> congregate in person as people used to do, uh, I think of like, we have these events that were rock stars in arenas, you know, and to be honest, they were fun, but I think where the magic happened was the side conversations you know, those serendipitous moments where you ran into someone that became a connection that now you've tracked their career over five years, you've done business with them. And so I think of marketers, again, um, instead of having that be a, a, a sort of like an accident of the larger event, making those smaller, intimate uh, engagements, the purpose of the event. And so again, like taking this from Chris Walker or Fine Labs, the idea of like creating these regional events, or I've done this in my past as well, regional events with a theme, a partner, they can be recorded and then create video content, but really focusing on, again, where you're going to have the highest, uh, most engagement, high intent moments with people that you know are the right kind of people you should be talking to. And so again, I think those will be two things that we'll, we'll see change or at least accelerate the pace of change post-pandemic. This was, uh, I love the thoughts. This was a really good conversation. It's got my head in a lot of different directions. Hopefully, if you're out there listening, you got the notepad out because there's a lot of notes that I'm taking on this one. Uh, Brian, before we let you go, what are you plugging at Cordial? What's going on? There's got to be something you can send our audience to. Yeah, absolutely. So if you if you track me personally on LinkedIn, 
Uh, again, Brian Rance, Brian with an I, and then last name, that's a verb. Um, you can see some of the video interviews I've been putting out with some leading marketers on zero and first party data, on loyalty. So a lot of campaign tips there. And then second, we're going to be coming out with a cross-channel marketing ebook that is going to have a lot of, again, practical tips for marketers. So come check it out again at Brian Rance on um, LinkedIn or Cordial, C-O-R-D-I-A-L is the name of our company on LinkedIn as well, or cordial.com. Brian, this was awesome. Thanks so much for your time. We'll have to get you involved in some more uh, marketing activities over here, but really good stuff and talk to you soon. Yeah, great to talk with you and thanks for working with us. I love Brian's mindset, tons of insights and knowledge. Go check him out on LinkedIn. He does an awesome show. It's fun to be a part of it. If you like what I'm doing over here on the 3C Podcast, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you take care of yourself, take care of others around you. And I'll be back next week with more 3C Podcast for you.